Hey guys, this is Pastor Neil. I just want to say thank you so much for joining us today on this podcast. Hey, would you do us a huge favor today? Would you subscribe, like, or leave us a review wherever you get this content? It really helps us reach other people with the gospel. Also, we would love, love to see you at our campus uh, on a Sunday morning. We meet at 1010 South Bowie Drive in Weatherford, Texas. You can check out our service times and more information about the church on our on our website, waterhousechurch.com. Check us out on Facebook or any other social media sites that you may have. We would love to see you. I pray that today you are renewed, restored, refreshed, and that your spirit comes alive. Now here is today's message. Oh, man. It's good to be out of the house. Right? How many of you were going stir crazy all week? I'm like, I got to get out of here. You know, people with kids, small kids, God bless you. I feel your pain. I don't feel your pain. I remember your pain. It's good. It's good. Oh, man, it's been good already today. Uh, I just want to open up in prayer, and then we're going to jump right in today. We've got a lot to, get, to go through. Um, it's, it's just been so good today, man. Just I pray that above everything else today that you realize what God has done for you through Christ Jesus. The, the price he paid for you, the redemption that he wants to give you today. I, I pray that you would just accept that and walk in the fullness of that. He's so good. He wants to give you a new life. He wants to give you hope and joy and peace. He wants you to walk in the fullness of who you are. And so I'm going to open up in, a word, in, in prayer, and then we're going to get right into the scripture today. Father God, I thank you so much for today, Lord. I thank you that you are our redeemer. God, you redeem all things, not just our lives, but every part of our lives. God, I thank you for everyone in here today, God. I thank you that we can come in and worship you freely. I thank you, Lord, that we're still able to worship without fear. And Lord, I pray that we stand strong and stand firm, knowing that one day that may not be true. But God, we are going to worship you either way. We love you. We thank you, God, for the freedom that we have in you. We thank you, Lord, for today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your son, Jesus, who died for us who gave up everything so that we may live. And so, Father, I pray that you would open my mouth to speak, open the, art, the hearts to receive and the ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So in case, you don't realize, in case you're not sure what we're doing, we are walking through Isaiah 53 together. We've been walking through this slowly. It's been more like a stroll than a, than a walk. But the more I dive into 53 and the more I look into it and the more we look into it as a church, the more I fall in love with Christ, the more I see his goodness and the more I see, understand what he's done for me, the more I understand who he is, and the more I understand, I'll, I'll have a better understanding of what he wants to do through me. And, and that's really what we're doing as we're diving into Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is also known as the fifth gospel because it is the gospel presentation put here in these few passages. Jesus has come for us. He has come to set us free. He has come to give us new life. And he wants us to walk in that new life. And so as we look in there, we're going to look at different aspects of who Jesus is, different aspects of what he's done in our life, and also realize that we are supposed to walk in that and represent Christ in the world. So three questions you always ask is, who is Christ? What has he done for us? And what does he want to do through us? And so as we, we've been diving into Isaiah 53, we've always been asking those three questions and trying to answer those three questions. And today we're going to dive deeper in and realize that Jesus is our Redeemer. And so 
We're going to read this passage together. It actually starts in Isaiah 52, um, and then it ends in Isaiah 53. The very end is a very long passage, but you guys have been troopers, so thank you so much for hanging in. We've been reading this together, and this is how we've done it. I've been reading the, uh, the odd number verses. You've been reading the even number verses together. And I pray that as you read it, you don't just read the words on the screen, but you let it seep into your heart. And so this is what we've been doing. We've been standing together for the reading of the word. You know, something about standing for important things. And the word of God is important. And there's something about standing and reading the word of God. We stand at, you know, at weddings. We stand at funerals. We stand for the national anthem. We stand for all these important things that we deem important. The word of God is important. So I think standing for reading it, just a great thing. And so I'm going to read the odds. You're going to read the evens. Are you ready? Yeah. You sure? Yeah. Have your coffee? All right, here we go. See, my servant will prosper. He will be highly exalted. And he will startle many nations. Kings will stand speechless in his presence. For they will see what they had not been told, and they will understand what they had not heard about. I, oops, sorry, who has believed? I should have this down by now. Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence, like a tender He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows. Acquainted with deepest grief, we turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised, and we did not care. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all of their sins. Good job. Today, we're talking about a passage in this, in this passage. We're talking about a couple, a couple of verses in this passage that really shaped this whole passage. And really, this, this, these few words of Isaiah shaped this whole book. 
that shapes every page written. It's really the work of Christ in a nutshell. And that's why it's so beautiful as we were preparing for Isaiah 53 to walk through this together, but we're calling the Jesus series because we're figuring out who Jesus is. And when I read this a few months ago, this passage jumped out at me. And it was saying, I felt the Lord saying, people need to know this. People need to understand this. People need to realize what I've done for them. Because I think we've become so passive and so used to what Jesus has done that we forget about it. We forget about the price he paid for us and the thing that he's done for us. Jesus is our redeemer. He's our healer. He's the one that made us right with the Father. Verse 5 is what we're looking at today. And it says, but he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. He did this so we could be this. He did this so we could be this. He did this so we could be this. There's this exchange that's happening here. Jesus took this so we could have this. He gave it all up so we could have it all. I love the way the New King James puts it. It's very poetic. And the writer here, Isaiah, is writing this poetically. And he says, pierced. He was pierced for our transgressions, for our, for, our, for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. Our peace. Do you need peace today? I need peace. And I'm going to talk about peace today, and it's not what you think. And by his stripes, we are healed. This is what Jesus came to do. This is why he came. He came to give us full life. He came to redeem us. This is just a very simple, plain gospel message this morning. And I hope you never get tired of hearing the gospel because it is the power of the gospel that sets men free. And, and he has come to redeem us. We don't use that word a lot except for in church language or maybe in, when you're trying to redeem something at a store like a coupon. You know, me and Debbie went to, uh, <laughs> we to Chick-fil-A yesterday. First service was like super excited about Chick-fil-A. They were hungry, I think, and they were mad because it's Sunday and they're not open. But uh, <laughs> we went to Chick-fil-A yesterday, and we, we were buying breakfast, and, you know, you have a little app. You get points, right? And I was like, I wonder how many points I have. I have a reward. And I looked, and I'm like, man, I could have bought that. I, I could have redeemed my points for this food item. And what that was is, like, the points in my phone are absolutely worth nothing unless I redeem them. And when I redeem them, it becomes something. Egg McMuffin, chicken biscuit, praise God for chicken biscuits. It becomes something. I, I, I gave up something of, uh, you know, of, of little value. Well, it's little value to get something I really wanted. And that's really what Jesus did. But he gave up everything to get what he really wanted. He redeemed himself. Like he, he gave himself up to buy us. He cashed in all the points to buy us back so that he may have us. That's what redemption is. He's our redeemer. He's the one that redeems. The word redemption actually means the release of people, animals, or property from bondage through the payment of a price. He, he redeemed us through that. That's what redemption is. It's the release of a person, a property, or an animal that you have out of bondage. You're buying it back out of bondage to set it free. When you look in Scripture, there's really two ways that redeemer is, is used, especially in the Old Testament. One is a kinsman redeemer. Remember Ruth? When you studied the, the book of Ruth, 
We, were, we, we all looked at Boaz. He was the kinsman redeemer. He was one closest in the family to redeem Ruth, to bring her in, to give her a hope in the future, to give her what she needed to protect her, a protector, someone to, to take care of her. And a kinsman redeemer is someone that would come and buy back a person from slavery or take responsibility for them. Because back then, often, our slavery is a little different today, but we're still slaves to debt. Uh, but back then, if people couldn't afford something, they would overwrite their account and they would go offer their service to that person as a slave, as a bond servant. And so what they would do is, I can't pay you back, but let me go serve in your house for five years as a bond servant, as a slave, and then I'll pay off that debt and then I'll be set free. And so a kinsman redeemer would be called upon when that person's debt was so high that they couldn't pay it back, but they had the funds and they had the, the, the ability to pay them, to buy them back. And so they would go in and they would buy that person out of slavery to bring them back home to who they are. Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. That's why he had to come in the flesh as a second Adam to buy us back. He's our redeemer. He's our kinsman redeemer. He's our Boaz. He sets us free. He brings us in. And then the other word for redeemer is often used as blood avenger. Blood avenger. Blood avenger. It's the blood avenger. The blood avenger is coming after you. You always read that in scripture. like, oh my gosh, what's the blood avenger? They don't come after me. Sounds scary. It's the blood avenger. Basically, it's somebody to come and make a right, to, to bring justice when justice wasn't made. So if someone in your family, and this is kind of like hillbilly stuff, all right? If someone in your family, you know, next to Ken, I remember that movie. I don't, I'm, I'm pretty old, but Patrick Swayze, not, it's a good movie, but anyway. Uh, so the next of kin would go in to make it right. If somebody came in and murdered your family or murdered somebody or killed somebody and they fled, the next in line, the person close to that person had the right to go get justice. And it would be blood for blood. You killed them, I'm going to kill you. That was the justice. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, blood for blood. So he was the avenger. He was the one that came in and redeemed the family to give them justice. Jesus is also our blood avenger. Well, what do you mean? He bought us. He came and he rescued us. He did justice for us. He killed the sin that was killing us. He put it on the cross and he was done with it. He killed the sin that was killing us. Jesus' blood paid for it all. He redeemed us. He, paid, he bought us back. Isaiah 59, 20 says this, the Redeemer will come to Jerusalem. This is talking about Jesus. Very plain. The Redeemer, the one who will redeem, the one who will buy you back, the one who will set you free, will come to Jerusalem to buy back those in Israel who have turned from their sins, said the Lord. See this great exchange. He's saying he's going to come and he's going to buy you back. He's going to bring you back. He's going to make you come back. He's going to redeem you. He's going to make you fully back to the created, to who you were supposed to be in the first place. Back to my people. He takes something away and he gives it back. And then it continues, and this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit will not leave them. And neither will these words I have given to you. So when the Redeemer comes, there's going to be a new covenant. This is Jesus. He comes and brings a new covenant. The new covenant is this. My spirit will not depart from you, and my words will never leave your mouth. I mean, never, will always leave your lips, basically. They will be on your lips and on the lips of your children and their children's children forever. I am the Lord, and I have spoken. We live under this new covenant through Christ Jesus, paid for in his blood. He redeemed us. He brought us back. This new covenant is sealed in him and no one else. And because of that, his spirit resides in us. When we accept Christ, his spirit lives in us, 
and it will not leave them. Think about that. Spirit is irrevocable. It's in us. And your words will always be on your heart and in your mind. Jesus, they'll be written on their heart. The word will be written on your heart. The new covenant that we live under. We have this beautiful privilege to walk in the spirit. Remember David when he wrote his psalm, Lord, do not take your spirit from me. We don't have to worry about that. Because we live under the new covenant. David lived under the old covenant. We don't have to worry about that. We just got to walk in fullness and stop worrying about if God's going to take the spirit away, if we're trespassing, if we're doing all this. We just got to walk in it. He paid for it. He paid our debt with his life so we could live. He paid it with his blood. It was a price that could only be paid through blood. Christ's blood covers it all. It's covered. You don't have to worry about paying the bill. The bill's been paid. Jesus paid the bill. Stop trying to pay the bill, guys, because that's what we do. I don't know about you. If somebody goes and, and I'm sitting at the restaurant and I'm eating food or something, and they offer to pay. No, 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 don't do that. I'll pay. Right? It's like, I'm going to pay. I'm going to pay. We're going to pay. So there's a big fight at the table. Who's going to pay? And then eventually somebody's, you know, somebody's like, okay, you can pay. But we're like that with Christ. We don't want to accept what he's already paid for. Instead of just saying, thank you so much for paying my way. We're like, no, Jesus, I got to pay. I got to pay. I got to pay. I got to serve you better. I got to pray more. I got to come to church more. I got to give more. I got to be better. I got to do better. I got to stop doing this, start doing this. And Jesus is saying, just accept me. And guess what? All that other stuff's going to follow. You don't have to do all these things to be right. You follow me and you are right. And then you start doing right. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to buy us back to give us a new method. He saw value in us. He saw so much value in us that he gave up everything to buy us back. Jesus tells this parable about the kingdom of heaven in Matthew chapter 13. I don't have it up there, sorry. But it's Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. I'll give you time to look it up so you know I'm not lying to you. I'm reading out the English Standard Version. Jesus is telling his parables about the kingdom. And he gets to this part. He's like, guys, do you understand how valuable you are to God? Do you know how valuable you are to me? And he says this, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. Let me read that again. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. The, 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 the misunderstanding about the scriptures, we think that heaven is this. No, he's saying the kingdom of heaven is like this. A man went out, and he found a treasure in a field. And instead of stealing the treasure, because when I first read this as a new believer, I'm like, why didn't he just take the treasure? Why didn't he go, why did he fill it back up and go buy it? The treasure's right there. But he saw so much value in the property and the land and the treasure that he bought it all. And he buys all of your life. I'm telling you, in your life, he buys it all. He buys the weeds, the rocks, the, the wildlife, all of it, all the crazy stuff in your life. He buys it, he redeems it, he brings it back because he sees value in you. He's not a thief. He's not going to steal. Jesus knows the price of your redemption. He knows the price of your life. He sees that much value in you. 
that he goes and sells everything he owns. Scripture says that Jesus threw off his divinity. He threw off all that he was to come to earth as a man to live perfectly for us, to be the perfect sacrifice for us. He gave up all of it to buy us. You are the treasure. You are the field. And he bought you back. And so the question you may have is, well, who owned the field before? Who owned the treasure before? The enemy did. Satan owned it. Sin owned it. You are a slave to that. The treasure was owned by that person or that entity by sin and, and by the enemy. And Jesus goes and he buys this back from the hands of sin, from the bondage of sin, and from the hands of Satan. He's like, I'm going to purchase them. How much do you want for them? Your life. Okay, I'll pay that. It's beautiful. It's beautiful what Jesus did for us. He paid the debt. He paid the debt we could not pay. He lived the life we could not live. He paid for it with his blood so that we may have freedom. He bought us back from the enemy. He was pierced for our trespasses. He was pierced for our trespasses. See, our sin kept us from walking in freedom. Our sin kept us from living the life that Christ wanted us to live. We had sold ourselves to sin. We had sold ourselves to bondage because of our, of our transgressions, because of our iniquities. This is what he came to undo, the transgressions in our life. So what's a transgression? See, a transgression has all to do with, the, with uh, offending the property owner. If you trespass on somebody's property, I'm a, why are you on my property? Right? Get off my land. You don't need to be on here because if you're on my property, you're here to do no good. You're uninvited. And so this, this, this thought of, of being pierced for our transgressions or our rebellion, it's like we're going against the property owner. God was the rightful owner of that land. But somehow he lost control of it to the enemy because of the, our sins. We, he lost control because we gave it up. See, we crossed the line. And every trespasser will be shot Remember as a kid, maybe you're, I don't know if you still go, you still see those signs around. Trespassers will be shot. Maybe that's on your fence. God bless you if you have that. <laughs> that's, it's terrifying when you're a kid because you're walking around and you're like really far from the fence, you know? It's like, I don't want to be that close. <laughs> but you knew there's consequences for crossing that fence. And the consequence was death. Jesus understood this that the consequences of my life for sinning is always death. The price is always death. Trespassers will be pierced, will be killed, will be shot. But Jesus took the bullet for you. That's the beautiful thing. He pushes you out and he takes the bullet. He was pierced for our transgressions. And he was crushed for our iniquities. Crushed for our iniquities. What are iniquities? It's moral failures. It's sins. And the thing about iniquities is they always affect more than ourselves. Always. Some of you are like, man, I'm not hurting anybody but myself. That's a lie. What you do always affects other people. What you do always affects other people. And our iniquities affect more than ourselves. In fact, our iniquities are crushing to those around us. 
our addiction, our vices, our selfishness, they're crushing to the people that love you because they want more for you. They want better for you. If you have a wayward child, parents, you understand this, that you just want them so much to fall in love with Christ and to know him and to know his goodness. And they're walking so far away from him. It's just crushing you because you know there's so much life for them to, to walk into. It also speaks to the way we're bent. The root word of this word iniquity in the Greek actually means, I mean, in the Hebrew actually means to be bent. It's a bent. It's the way we're, we're bent, right? We're kind of slided one way or another. It's the way we lean in our lives. Sin has bent us. Like it has made us not where we can stand up straight. We're not righteous anymore. We're bent. And because of we're bent, because of sins impact your life through our parents, through the sins of the world that affects us. Because I'm telling you, the world's full of sin and they affect, it affects us. And it causes us to have a natural bend and our selfishness makes us bend even more. And the problem with our bentness is this, that no matter what happens, no matter what we try to build, no matter what we try to do, it's always bent. It's always going this way. You're trying to build your life straight and trying to build your life good, but you keep getting bent and everything you build is just falling over and collapsing. There's a bentness to you. There's an iniquity in you and it passes down to generation to generation. But here's the good news. Jesus came to straighten you out. Amen. Praise God for that. Amen. My parents always tell me when I was, I'm straighten you out. <laughs> Jesus came to straighten you out. He came to make you right, set you straight, and make you good, make you holy. So here's the thing. The debt of our sins, because of our iniquities and our transgressions, can never be paid off. We needed someone with the funds someone with the ability to pay our slave owner off to redeem us, someone that could pay off the amount once and for all. See, the old system wasn't working. The old covenant wasn't working. The, the, the best we could do with the old covenant is pay off some of the interest. And we would pay off some of the interest, but yet we'd still have this huge debt standing in front of us. Some of you are living this right now with your credit cards, right? You're paying every month just the minimum, and you're like, oh, my gosh, it's getting bigger. How do I stop it? You got to pay it all off or you're going to accrue more debt. And so Jesus comes and he pays not only off the interest, but also the debt itself. He has enough to do that. His body and his blood were enough to pay off everything because the old system would only pay off some of it and not all of it. The old way, the old covenant was never sufficient to remove our sin debt. I'm going to explain this to you in Hebrews chapter 9. Put your thinking caps on. We're going to go deep. Hebrews chapter 9. The writer of Hebrews is talking about the old system, the old covenant, how it used to work. And he's reflecting that upon how Jesus came in. Jesus is the new covenant. He is the new system. He is the new way it works. And he's reflecting on the old system versus the new system and how Jesus fulfills the old system. And Jesus is so much better than the old system. And so we're going to read uh, this passage together. And I want you to understand that in Scripture, everything written from Genesis to Revelation, every bit of it points to Christ. Every story, every law, every bit of prophecy, every bit of psalm, everything you read in here is a type and a shadow of Christ. Everything you read is about Jesus. And when you understand that, you start to read this differently. You're not so bored when you get to Leviticus. And you get to Deuteronomy, and you're, okay, we get it, we get it already. Okay, Moses? It's a type and saying, no, Jesus is the fulfillment of all these things, all these weird laws. Like, what is all that about? Jesus perfects it. 
And so Hebrews chapter 9, verse 1. Okay, I got to hurry. The first covenant between God and Israel had regulations for worship and a place of worship here on earth. He's talking about the, the, the tabernacle or the temple. There were two rooms in that tabernacle. In the first room were a lampstand, a table, sacred loaves on, on the, of bread on the table. The, this room was called the holy place. Holy place. Then there was a curtain, and behind the curtain was a second room called the most holy place. Very inventive. In that room were a gold incense altar and a wooden chest called the Ark of the Covenant, which was covered with gold on all sides. Inside the Ark were a gold jar containing manna, Aaron's staff that sprouted leaves, and stone tablets of the covenant, the old covenant. Above the Ark were the cherubim of divine glory, whose wings stretched over the Ark's cover, the place of atonement. What's atonement? It's the place of sacrifice, the place that makes us clean. But we cannot explain these things in detail now. There's so much into it. When these things were all in place, the priests regularly entered the first room as they performed their religious duties. This is every day they would go in and do this. But only the high priest could ever enter the whole, most holy place, and he could only do it once a year. Only one person could go in once a year. And he always offered blood for his own sins and for the sins of the people that had committed in ignorance. I didn't know I could sin. You know, it's like, I didn't know I sinned, but you did. So this is going to cover it. But these regulations, the Holy Spirit revealed that the entrance to the most holy place was not freely open as long as the tabernacle and the system it represented, it's a representation, were still in use. So he's saying the priest would go in, he would offer sacrifice once a year, but it wouldn't do the job. It wouldn't fix it. It just kind of covered it up for the, week, for the year. And so they have to go back in there next year. But only one person could go into the holy place. Only one person could stand in the presence. The most holy place represented the presence of God. And only one person could go in there once a year. That's it. So there was no way open for anybody else to get in. Hence, we needed a different system. Verse 9. This is an illustration pointing to the present time. He's saying this is a type and shadow pointing to Christ. It's a type and shadow. For the gifts and sacrifices that the priests offer are not able to cleanse the conscience of the people who bring them. For the old system deals only with food and drink and various cleansing ceremonies, physical regulations that were in effect only until the better system could be established. So they would give their sacrifices, they would feel better about themselves, and then wake up next day and sin and feel bad about themselves again. Is that our life? <laughs> Christian, that's not your life. It's not your life, believer. It's not how it's supposed to be. So Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. He has entered the greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven. So whether you realize this or not, the tabernacle, the temple, that was a representation of heaven. Everything in that tabernacle was a representation of heaven. Everything in it represented Christ and heaven. And so Christ goes to the real tabernacle, heaven which was not made by human hands and not part of his created world, with his own blood. Remember, because the priest had to sacrifice an animal to cover his own sins, then he could go present for the sins of other people. But Christ, with his own blood, not the blood of goats or calves, he entered the most holy place once and for all time. Once for all time. He doesn't have to keep going every year, every year, every year, every year. 
His sacrifice was final. His sacrifice was once and for all time. He secured our redemption. There's that word. He secured our redemption forever. How long is forever, guys? Hey, that's pretty simple, right? Forever is a long time. It's forever. And under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of heifer could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Like we're just clean for the moment. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify your conscience from sinful deeds so that we, so that, here's the thing, we can worship the living God. Say, man, when Jesus sacrificed, it cleansed our conscience in such a way that we can worship God with all that we are. There's nothing hindering us, nothing holding us back. It cleansed us. It made us clean. It made us right with God. We can enter the presence of the Holy One and worship Him in spirit and truth. You hanging on with me? For the power of the eternal spirit, this is the Holy Spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. Christ offered himself to God. Christ did. That is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people. He's the one that mediates, like God and people through Christ Jesus. You're good because Christ died to set them free. I love that. What did he do? He died to set you free. So many of us are like, oh, Jesus died so I can go to heaven. No, he died to set you free, and that's part of it. He died to set you free from sin, free from the effects of sin, free from, and free to walk in the fullness of who he's made you to be. Set you free from the penalty of the sins that he committed under the first covenant. No penalties. Painful, stamped. And here's the thing. For our sins to be taken away, blood had to be sprinkled on the altar. And the priest would go in. He would get at the altar of the the covenant, the Ark of the Covenant. And on that was what they called the mercy seat or the place of atonement. And he would take the blood and he would sprinkle it seven times. Seven times he would sprinkle that blood on the altar. And seven was the number of completion. That's why you see it a lot in Scripture. It's complete healing. But it didn't last. It only lasted for a year. Not even that long. But get this. Jesus goes. He gives up his life. And he bleeds. His blood made us right. And whether you realize this or not, Jesus, on his way to the cross, he bled seven times. He was sprinkled seven times, basically. And you're like, what are you talking about? If you look in Scripture, on, on the way to the cross, that whole, the whole Passion Week, we call it, Jesus bleeds in different areas because he atones for our whole life. Maybe you don't realize that his blood atoned for all of us. He redeemed all of us. And I want to focus on the areas that Jesus bled because I don't think we realize what Christ has redeemed in us. We say, oh, yeah, Christ redeemed all. But you don't realize exactly what he redeemed. And so here's the things that he redeemed with his blood. Skipping my notes, sorry. It's way back there. Seven places that Jesus bled and what it means for us. The seven places that he bled and the redemption that it offered. The first place that Jesus bled was his brow. It says in the garden, Jesus went to the garden. He was praying to the Father. And what was he praying? Father, not my will be done, but your will be done. And he said he was so sorrowful. He was so filled with grief. He was, he was praying so hard that blood poured out of his pores. He bled out of his brow. 
He bled out of his brow. And, and for us, he bled, and that, and that blood covered our will. It was his will. And so when he bled out of his brow, his brow represents our will. His blood covers our will. He covers our emotions, the seed of who we are. And we're able now, because it's been redeemed, to say, not my will, Lord, but your will be done. And then as he was being taken off, you know, Judas, you know the story, Judas comes, kisses him. They, they take him to the Sanhedrin, and they blindfold Jesus, and they're striking him on the face, saying, who hit you? Prophesy. Who hit you? Prophesy. They were challenging Jesus' identity at that point, saying, if you're really a prophet, if you're really the son of God, then you can tell us who hit you. And see, while they were hitting his face, and his face was bleeding and swollen, he was bleeding for our identity, his face. What's our face? Our face is who we are, right? It's not how we recognize each other. The blood he poured out of his face was for our identity. He bought back who we are. He bought back our identity. And then he was carted off, put on trial. Uh, Pilate says, let's go, let's go. We don't want to crucify him. It's too crazy. Let's just go beat him real bad, and then maybe they'll give up. So they go and they whip him on his back. If you've seen the movie The Passion of the Christ, you know how brutal that was. They beat him until the bone showed. And, and because his back, Isaiah 53 says, by his stripes we are healed. And so when, when he bled on his back, he bought back, he, he redeemed our health. Our health, not just our physical health, but everything we are. Our health. And then... They stuck a crown on his head of thorns, pushed it down in his head. Blood trickled off the head. And when that happened, he bought back our thought life. You know, some of us need a redeemed thought life because our thought life gets so crazy sometimes. You don't want to think that. You don't want to do that. But your thoughts go crazy and all these things happen in your life. And like, Why am I thinking this? Why am I thinking this? I don't want to think this. Christ came to redeem that. You can think new thoughts. You can have the mind of Christ. It's a passage. It says, capture every thought. Make it subject to Christ. Then they pierced his hands, hung him on the cross. When his hands were pierced, he bought back the work of our hands, the redemption of our hands. So many of us throughout our lives have done so much evil with our hands, so much wickedness, so many bad things. Hurt people, broken things, punch walls. You know, I mean, you can fix walls, but out of anger, our hands do what our hearts tell us to do. And Jesus redeems that. He's like, give me your hands. I'm going to put my blood on them. It's going to be redeemed. Your hands are going to do good works. And they pierce his feet so that we may walk fully in him. You know, so many of us, we walk around and, and wonder where we're going. I'm telling you, let Jesus wash over your feet today. Let his blood redeem your walk with him. He wants you to walk with him and walk perfectly in his will. And then the last place he died, he bled after he passed away, they pierced his heart, went through his side, pierced his heart with a spear. And it says that blood and water poured out of his heart. And science says that that happens because of, of just so much pain for people. It's like he died of a broke, his heart broke. He had a broken heart. And it pierced and blood and water came out. And that blood he spilt was for our heart, the inside of us. He wants to give you a heart, your heart back. 
He wants to redeem everything, everything in your life, the whole field. He bought the whole field, guys. That's amazing. Like, why would you want my field? You should just burn it. Start over. But he says, no, I'm going to buy it. I'm going to redeem it. I'm going to work the land. I'm going to make something beautiful come out of that. That's what he does. He submitted his whole life to death so that we may have full life. That's the beauty of Christ. That's what he did for us. Isn't that amazing? He sprinkled his blood so we could live. He gave his life so that we may live once and for all. There's this great exchange. It was a once and for all sacrifice. His blood was shed so we could be clean. He paid for it all. We sang that song. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. He paid it all. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. What is that? Like the beating he took was for our peace. Like he went, he was beaten severely so we could have peace. What is peace? It's, it's not just what you think peace, it's shalom peace. The Hebrew word shalom is like a perfect peace. It means nothing missing. And I have, I have the uh, definition up there of shalom peace, like what that all encompasses. It means peace, prosperity. Like peace, prosperity, an intact state of favorable circumstances. This is favorable. There's peace here. Completeness, the state of a totality of a collection. No missing pieces. You know what? All your puzzle pieces have all the pieces. Your life has all the pieces, and God's putting it back together in shalom, peace. Safeness. You're kept safe. Salvation. You're saved. It's a state of being free from danger. Danger of what? Danger from hell. Danger from ourselves and selfishness. Health. A state of lack of disease and a wholeness of well-being. I'm well. Health is just the absence of disease, guys. That's what health is. Satisfaction, contentment. It's the state of having one's basic needs or more being met and being so content. You know, when you have all that you need and you're content, there's a peace there, right? Like, I don't have to worry about it. It's all good. When I'm healthy, there's a peace there. I don't have to worry about it. When there's a completeness and I'm not missing anything, I don't have to worry about it. I have peace. When things are going my way, there's a peace, right? Favorable circumstance. And then he goes, I love this, friendship. Peace is friendship? Yeah. When the Hebrews would, when the Israels would walk in, they would say, peace be upon this place. Shalom. Saying, I'm your friend. Are you, are you friendly? Companion. One who has an association with another with affection or regard. Not just, oh, my Facebook friend. And you see each other in Walmart and you have no idea who you are. It's like, I think I know who you are. <laughs> think of like, like 20 of your posts. No, I don't know who you are, man. You have a real friend. A blessing. It's the content of the act of giving kindness to another. Man, when Jesus just wants to bless you, he wants to give kindness to you. See, he wants to do all this, even he gives, of, of, he gives us all this perfect peace so that we may give it back to other people. He took it away. He took away our sins and gave us this shalom peace. And he bought us back from the enslaver and set us free so that we may go out and show other people who he is. Live in peace. And when you walk into a room, they're like, man, where'd that peace come from? Let me show you where I get my shalom, my peace. He's the Prince of Peace. He wants to give it to you. And because you walk in perfect peace, 
because you understand what Christ has done for you. You're not, you're, you're not only able to walk in peace, but you understand that you don't owe anybody anything. You might want to say it. I don't owe anybody anything. There you go, some of you. I'm sorry that utility bill came in today. You've got to owe them some money. <laughs> you can't tell them that. But personally, you don't owe anybody anything. You know why? Because Jesus paid for that. Now, you may have done somebody wrong. You need to go make it right. But, but I am not responsible for other people's feelings. I'm not responsible to make them happy, to make them you know, feel loved. It is my responsibility to love them, but it's not my responsibility to fulfill them. And so I don't owe them anything. Nothing I give them is going to fill that gap. And the problem is when we're trying to fill that gap, we're giving pieces of ourselves off. That, that's not ours to give. And so you don't owe anybody anything because you're already complete. And nobody owes me anything. Like, you can't give me anything that I need. I don't need anything. I got everything through Christ Jesus. Nothing you do is going to affect me. Nothing you say is going to affect me because I'm already free, and I'm already clean, and I'm already whole. You can't take anything away from me because it's so perfectly packed and intact. It's also safe. The only reason something takes, gets something off of me is because I gave it away. Don't give it away. Don't give your peace away. I love what Romans 13, 18, 13, 8 says. It says, owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. You don't owe anybody anything except for love. And when I'm walking in freedom and I'm walking in the fullness of what Christ has done for me and I'm walking in, in the redemption that he set in my life, I'm able to love people without wrong motives or wrong agendas. I'm not coming to you saying, I love you. Do you love me back? I'm serving you. Will you serve me back? I'm giving you this. I'm expecting something in return. No, I'm able to love you for who you are. Love you for who Christ made you to be. And it doesn't matter how you treat me. It doesn't matter how you react. That's the perfect love. That's how Jesus loved. Jesus on the cross, they were beating him. They were mocking him. The same people that hung him up there, what did he say? Lord, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. He still loved them. Because they didn't owe him anything. And he didn't owe them anything. We have to walk in that freedom. He was whipped so we could be healed. This word here is Rapha. Jehovah Rapha. You know what I'm saying? You know, spiritual people, Jehovah Rapha. What it means is it's, it's a healing. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's to restore to a right state after being sick, diseased, or injured healed. We all know what healing is. He came to heal us. His stripes made us healed. His, his whipped so we could be healed. It's, it's an undoing of what was torn down. It's a rebuilding. Jesus was undone so we could be rebuilt. Jesus subjected his whole life to death, his flesh to death, so that we could live. He had to be torn down apart so we could be put back together. By his stripes, we are healed, put back together whole. His disfigurement became our picture of our own disfigurement. What does sin do to us? Jesus hanging on the cross is a beautiful picture of what sin does to us. I have a picture if you want to throw that up there. This is a picture from the Passion. I think they do a good job because he was beaten beyond recognition. Scripture even says, Isaiah even says, that his face was so disfigured nobody even realized who he was. 
Jesus did this for us because it was a picture of what sin had done to us. It disfigured who we are. We, nobody recognized us. We were created in the image of God. And in the image of God, he created us, man. And he wanted us to walk in that fullness of his image, but yet sin kept us from walking fullness in that image of who he was. It disfigured us. It, it made us less than what we were supposed to be. And Jesus came to restore that. Jesus came to bring us back into who we were made to be. He came to restore our identity, to restore that image, to make us whole. I love Hebrews 9. Because here's the thing. We needed a Savior and a Redeemer, someone to rescue us from sin and remove the effects of sin. Jesus did that. And because of that, Hebrews 9.14, just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our conscience from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. Because of what Christ has done, we can worship fully and wholly. He paid the price. He took it all so we could have something better. He put a new covenant in place, a new way to be right with the creator. That's what Jesus did for you. That's what Jesus did for me. Your redemption is here now. If you just say yes, this is what Jesus is saying. I did this for you. Why do you keep trying to pay me? I paid the debt. I even paid the tip. Just say thank you, grab it, live it, and move on. Stop trying to pay me off. You don't have enough money. Live free. You're not a slave. That's what he wants to do in your life. So this is what I want to do. I want, I want to take communion together, and I'm asked the worship team to come up and also the prayer team. I think it's good to end in communion because this passage talks about this. Whether you realize it or not, communion is, is exclaiming the gospel. Every time we take it together, we're sharing the gospel with one another. We're reminding each other of what Christ has done for us, that he paid for us in his blood, like he gave up his life for us so that we may have full life. He did this for us. He loved us enough to give up his life for us. So while you open that, I want to talk about communion and give you a challenge this morning. Two challenges, actually. Because as soon as we're done with communion, I'm going to give you an opportunity to maybe have the Lord touch you in an area of your life that needs to be redeemed. Because I don't know what your life is. I don't know where you've been. I don't know what part of your life. I talked about those seven places. Maybe one of those stuff to you says, man, I've got to have that redeemed. That is just destroying my life right now. He can redeem that if you let him. You just have to come to him. And so after we take communion together, they're just going to play a song. They're going to sing a song. I want you to come and get prayer by one of our ministry's team. They love you, and they want to help you. Maybe today you need to give your life to Christ. You've been rejecting that redemption all your life. You know he loves you. You know he's wanting you to come to him, but you haven't done it yet. What's keeping you? Maybe you're saying, man, when I get right, man, this gets good, and then I'll come to Christ. He's saying, no, you come to me first. Don't worry about all that stuff. You come to me. Let me do all the work. You don't have to do anything. Just come to me and let me free you. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to really think about communion this morning. What his body represents and what his blood and what the cup of the covenant represent. Because it was his body that was broken for us, right? So that we may be made whole. 
Live in shalom peace. Walk in shalom peace. Be peace. By his body, we are, bro- we are healed. Right? And so this is what we do as a church. We pray for those that need healing today. Because we know that Jesus still heals because he can. And so we always ask because he can. And we walk in faith. So if you need healing today, I want to pray for healing. But I want you to imagine sitting with those disciples on the day before Jesus is put on the cross and completes his work. They don't know what's going to happen. They're just looking at Jesus, and Jesus is sharing this meal with them, trying to explain to them what's about to happen. And he says, guys, you don't understand fully what's about to happen, but I'm going to give you this to remember because after it happens, you'll be like, oh, my goodness. How beautiful was that meal with him? He's saying, I'm going to go, and I'm going to give my life as a ransom for many, a ransom. He's paying off a debt for many people. I'm paying off your debt. And I want to have a meal, this last meal with you to remind you of the debt that I paid. And he says, this is my body. He takes the bread, he breaks it. He goes, this is my body that's broken for you so that you may live in fullness. And he takes the cup, he pours wine in the cup, he gives it out, and he says, this is the cup of the new covenant that's, that's, that's paid for in my blood. It's sealed in my blood, not the blood of goats and sheep. It's sealed in my blood. I was the perfect sacrifice. And this cup I'm giving you is the new covenant that says it's only by my work that you are set free. It's only by my work that you are saved. It's only by my work that you live in freedom and become who God has created you to be. And he says, take it and do this in remembrance of me. So I want you to really think about it. Don't just take communion without thinking. So, Lord, we pray right now. We pray for those that need healing. God, that they would be healed. Lord, you are the healer. You are Jehovah Rapha. You are the healer. You are the one that healed us. By your stripes, we are healed. Lord, I pray that you would heal their bodies right now, Lord, that your blood would wash over their bodies, over their minds, over their hearts. God, that you would restore right now everything the enemy has stolen from them and the effects of sin in their life. God, that you would restore it right now. God, that you would give back redeem everything in their lives because by your body, by your body, we are, we are redeemed. We thank you, Lord, for that. So, Father, we thank you for this bread. We thank you for the table that you've called us to sit at. We thank you for the family that we get to enjoy communion with. God, help us to remember always what you've done for us. So by his stripes, we are healed. Let's break the bread. Father, we thank you for the cup. We thank you, Jesus, that you did not deny the cup, that you were in the garden. And you said, Lord, please do not let this, please, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. But you took the cup, the cup of suffering, so that we would not have to suffer, so that we could live in rightness with the Father. You went to war with sin and you won victorious. And Lord, we thank you for your freedom that you offer to us. We thank you for this cup that we get to enjoy the fellowship of who you are, that we get to walk into the throne room of grace through your body and through your blood, Jesus, and come straight to the Father. You are the mediator. You are the high priest. And the doorway has been opened. The curtain has been ripped. We have full access to the Father. We thank you for the cup. We thank you for this beautiful new covenant. We thank you, Lord, that it was paid for by your blood. 
And we drink this to remember the cost of this covenant. And Lord, I pray that today, whoever does not know you, Father God, I pray for those family members, our loved ones, the ones that we're praying for to know you, God, that you would chase them down with your goodness. God, that you would just show them your sweetness. God, that they would taste and see that the Lord is good and they would give their life to you, God, because you have so much life to give. You have so much to exchange. Lord, if they would just know your goodness, God, they would not say no to you. Father, we thank you that you are always chasing after us. That you're always coming after us, God, even though we flee. We thank you for this cup, Lord. We thank you for the covenant. We accept it. And we take it full, with full understanding of what you've done for us. Let's take the cup. Thank you, Father, for this covenant. Thank you, Lord, for this message. Thank you for this moment. God, let us walk in the fullness of what you've done for us. Thank you, Lord, for your redemption. Thank you for your peace. Lord, I pray right now, God, that who, any, anybody who needs prayer, that we come up and get prayer right now, God, as we go through this message, as we go through this song together. God, that we would not be in a hurry, but let you be who you need to be. And that you would draw everybody up that needs prayer. They may need healing. They may need salvation. God, that they may need deliverance, whatever, God. I just pray that they would come up right now and get what they need from you. In Jesus' name, amen.